trust is the problem, basically. It boils down to trust. It takes some skill to, to design something which is which is kind of just just calibrated well enough to screw people over. But unfortunately, a lot of the people that have been exploited under this are probably no longer with us to actually complain about this or for someone to protect them. This is Fair and Square, a podcast from Federa's. I'm Ellie House. We've all been there. An email pings into our inbox or a letter comes through the door saying that the energy tariff is changing, our insurance contract is renewed or our phone deal will automatically roll on to a new agreement. Nine times out of ten, we don't question it. We're busy, we've been with that company for a while and it's always been fine. Why bother changing? Loyal customers were paying around £57 a year on average more than new customers. For the broadband, it was in the region of uh, about £110 extra each year. On mortgages, something like £1,000 extra each, each year. Ah, that's why. Chris Pike, Managing Director at Federa's, is talking about loyalty penalties, or price walking, as it's also called. So typically what will happen is that consumers will at some point do you know, a, a search of the market, um, will we'll, we'll take a deal of some, some description. Once they've chosen one, th- there's this tendency basically to, to, to stick with it. Uh, so at the end of each year, often the contract is, is rolled over, the firm gets in touch and says, you know, we're gonna, you're going to stay on your existing deal, the, we're going to apply an annual uh, increase of however, however much percent. And essentially this kind of can happen each year. So if uh, consumers find it difficult to find the time to to go back and, and reevaluate uh, you know the deal that they're on they can quickly find that they're they're paying much more than the, the you know the best rates that are available for for new consumers this practice can and does affect everyone but the elderly and those with disabilities are the hardest hit Nigel Quantic from Surrey in South East England was shocked when he saw just how much his mother was paying for house insurance. My mother's uh, called Pat. She's 86 years old. She lives in Hampshire. And she's had MS for over 40 years. She's been fortunate. It's not been too bad. But she is uh, and has been housebound for a number of years now. As we do uh, a number of things uh, for our parents as they get older, one of the things which they find it very difficult to do is deal with all the paperwork that comes through from various companies, suppliers, utilities, insurers and so forth. Pat received a letter from her house insurance provider one day when Nigel was visiting. I was uh, aghast at uh, at the quote, the renewal quote, because it was for just under, literally just under £500. For Nigel, this seemed like too much for the three-bedroomed terrace house that Pat lived in. As I got talking to to Mum about it, she said, oh no, I've always been with them. I've been with them for 35 years. She trusted the provider. She was loyal to them. So I made a call and the first insurer I spoke to immediately reduced the premium down to just under £300. Then I went online and used one of the price comparison websites and 
I actually got her a policy which actually had better cover and lower excesses if she ever needed to claim, which she hasn't done in the 35 years she's had the existing uh, cover. And the policy price was £135. One phone call with the provider slashed her price by £200. And by shopping around, Nigel found a deal that was just over a quarter of what Pat had been quoted. So after three decades of keeping loyal to one company, Pat is likely to have spent more on her home insurance than she needed to, more than she would have done if she had been treated as a new customer. My name's Jack Carr. I've just turned 48 and I'm originally, you probably hear from the West Country, and currently living in Derby in the Midlands. When Jack discovered that his parents might be overpaying for their insurance, he took it one step further and battled for compensation. Uh, my parents live in uh, North Somerset near Bristol, a small commuter village. My father uh, sadly now resides in a residential uh, care home following a series of strokes and is um, regrettably experiencing dementia. Uh, my mum still lives in a family home. Uh, they're both in their late 60s, early 70s. In 2018, Jack was visiting home for his birthday and he saw his mother's insurance letter on the table. So I asked if it was OK if I looked at it. And she said, yes, of course, go ahead. And I noted that the amount of the renewal was absolutely eye-watering. It was somewhere in the order of five or maybe six times the sort of amount that I would expect. I went to the comparison sites and did a couple of direct quotes with the same insurer um, using details as close to you know my dad's details as possible. And the quote that came back was somewhere in the order of £160, but the renewal was just shy of £700. That's over four times more than a new customer would have been charged. The first thing uh, we did was to look back through previous year's renewals uh, just to see how big a problem this was. And it was a consistent pattern year on year on year of hugely inflated premiums. And also the part that I objected to almost more than the than the rip-off, was the wording on these renewal letters with big, bold, you don't have to do anything, everything will renew automatically and your direct debit will be taken. It was basically telling uh, customers not to think about it, just, shh, just, 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 just keep paying and everything will be fine, which I consider to be extremely inappropriate, certainly considering the fact that these products are likely to be sold to people who are older, elderly, likely therefore sadly to be experiencing health issues or having other, you know, concerns either being, you know, unpaid carers or, you know, taking care of family members, etc. Jack rang the insurance company to complain, but they were absolutely untroubled, to say the least. So from there we wrote the letter of complaint. It went back and forth for probably about another year they made a goodwill gesture payment which was nowhere near adequate in an attempt to stop us complaining further and we then took it to the financial ombudsman who uh, ran with it from there 
After around 18 months, they finally receive compensation from the insurance company, but no acknowledgement of wrongdoing or that a loyalty penalty even existed. They did not accept that they had ever acted in the way that we considered them to have acted, to wit that they had exploited a vulnerable customer base and abused their loyalty. Neither Jack's parents in Somerset nor Nigel's mother in Hampshire were in a position to shop around for a better deal. And it's people in those sort of situations that don't have the time, they don't have the the mental bandwidth, if you like, or the emotional bandwidth to be able to put the time and effort aside to go through these things. If it wasn't for the fact that I was there in my mother's house seeing the uh, the renewal quote come through um, in her post that day, I might not have known about it. I, 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 it just beggars belief that honourable and trusted companies would try and operate in that manner. Some, something is wrong. You know, they're not charities, they're in business to make money. But in this instance, the numbers were abhorrently wrong. Trust is the problem, basically. It boils down to trust. Loyalty penalties aren't new. In 2018, the independent organisation Citizens Advice issued a super complaint to the Competitions and Markets Authority, or CMA, after finding that 8 in 10 bill payers were affected by this practice. At the time... Citizens Advice told the Financial Times, Regulators and government have recognised the loyalty penalty as a problem for a long time. Yet the lack of any meaningful progress makes this super complaint inevitable. Three years on, the team at Federes still see the issue of loyalty penalties coming up again and again. Regulators like the CMA have investigated, published reports and issued guidance. But the problem remains. This brings us to the question driving today's episode. Have regulators been too soft on loyalty penalties? Yes, I think there's certainly a case that the regulators haven't used all the tools available to them to resolve this problem. Chris Pike, Managing Director at Federa's. Following the Citizens Advice super complaint in 2018, the Competition and Markets Authority investigated, publishing estimated damages across different markets. The CMA and the regulators have taken a look at some of these markets and they've, they've managed to find some, some really huge figures, uh, something in the order of 1.2 billion extra being paid by consumers of home and motor insurance each year. 500 million extra each year in broadband. 800 million each year in mortgage payments. 2 billion pounds each year in energy. So as I say, some of those are really large, large figures. The CMA also sent guidance to market-specific regulators like Ofcom in broadband and the Financial Conduct Authority for insurance. Their recommendations were largely to the regulators to, to take a look at what they could do in terms of changing the rules, uh, the regulations of those industries, uh, providing more information to consumers uh, to help them make better choices. The responsibility here is on the consumer to make the decision. The main problem I have with price walking, this relentless increase, is that it requires a level of engagement by a customer, which I would argue is unusually high. 
So, how do these consumer-focused rule changes work in practice? Let's look at broadband. Ofcom, the communications regulator, has made some policy changes which it says are making it easier for people to take advantage of the competitive deals available. An Ofcom spokesperson said, For example, providers must now tell customers when their contract is up and what their best deals are. And last year we got companies to commit to fairer prices once customers pass their initial deal. So this is transparency. Companies must tell customers what the best deals are when their contract runs out. But does it stop price walking? Ollie Usher, a Virgin Media broadband customer in London, says no. I've noticed a couple of times when the initial contract runs out, so you typically sign up for a year, a year and a half, two years. Um, when the initial contract runs out, they, they're, they're, they're pretty brutal at cranking up prices uh, in a way which I, I find kind of not, um, not massively ethical. Virgin maintains that Ollie has not been subject to price increases, but rather he has come to the end of limited term discounts. Um, what, what happened around the time the most recent contract ran out, which I think was around Christmas last year, um, is I got, a, I got an email from them saying that the contract is running out. And at the bottom of it was, was something which kind of really caught my notice. It said, you may get a better introductory offer with another provider. Something on the lines of you may benefit from, from um, you know, shopping around or switching to a new tariff. Um, for reference, here is the best deal we offer to new customers, but you're not eligible for it. If we don't hear from you, we'll simply check in again within the next 12 months to make sure you're on the right package for you. And that struck me as kind of fairly odd thing that a company wouldn't include by choice. It's it's the kind of thing that companies usually include if there's a regulator breathing down their neck. But did it work? Has this transparency about the best deals helped Ollie to avoid paying prices which he feels are unduly high? Well, this is this is a classic illustration of what the problem is with loyalty penalty, right? Which is that I haven't done anything about it. Um, it's not it's not really worth my time to um, kind of you know shop around and risk losing my connection for a day or two if I'm being switched to another provider and so on. So I haven't done anything about it, right? But it it, it kind of sticks in my craw a little bit that you know a powerful company that has a degree of control over a really important service that its customers rely on is just able to behave in this kind of slightly shoddy way. A Virgin spokesperson said, Offering promotional prices for new customers stimulates competition and is common across many industries. We clearly state the monthly package price of our bundles, including any introductory discount and the ongoing price, at the point of sale, in our contracts and on every customer bill. In addition, we notify customers when they reach the end of their minimum term and make them aware of the best plan available to them. Customers can speak to us at any time to discuss their package. When you've got consumers who are what we would call sticky in the sense that they you know, continue to, to buy the same sorts of products or services over and over again, that creates the opportunity for this exploitation, essentially. More openness, more information for the consumer isn't enough to stop price walking. But this isn't all that regulators have done. This year, the Financial Conduct Authority announced a landmark new rule. I think the solution put forward by the FCA was was really interesting because there they, they've they applied this year a rule that says you can't discriminate in the price that you 
that you give to new consumers as against those consumers that are buying precisely the same product but have just been with you more years. Insurers will be forced to offer current customers a price no higher than what they would quote to new customers. So that's kind of an anti-loyalty penalty discrimination clause that's been put in there as a regulation. It's a radical and much-needed regulatory solution. But Federer's analysis suggests that these weren't just malfunctioning markets that needed better rules. Chris found that the firms involved in those markets were breaking the existing rules and illegally abusing their market power to exploit some of their most vulnerable and loyal customers. What's missing is something that looks backwards and says, well, we've had 15, 20 years of some of this. People have overpaid over a long period of time. And there's a good argument that says the customers um, deserve redress for, for the overpayments that they've, they've incurred over that period. What Federis has done here is new. They've looked at loyalty penalties from a different angle. And this has opened up a new way to punish companies. Consumers can act collectively to take those firms to court. There's an opportunity here to use the strength of the class actions regime to actually obtain redress for those consumers that have been paying the the loyalty penalty over, over this time. Chris says this idea isn't too far from established practice, so chances of success are good. But why the agencies don't appear to have considered this approach, we don't know. You know, you can make an argument that you you try things first and you see if if this can resolve the problem uh, before taking uh, more serious action. Um, But I think, you know, this this has been going on for for a long, long amount of time. This is, uh, you know, hitting people's pockets in a very serious way. I think there's a there's a good case here for more aggressive direct action by competition regulators in this space. regulators done enough that's a really good question no clearly they're not doing enough i would say they probably haven't set a deterrent in the in the way that we would like to have seen the competition and markets authority did not want to be interviewed for this podcast or to issue a statement it's easy to uh, bash them when things go wrong and that's quite often with you know looking at situations in hindsight but I would love them to engage with people, uh, to engage with the public and look at what they can do because you're talking about a sector of the population that doesn't have a voice and it's important that they do have a voice. And now for the latest updates on the previous Fair and Square investigations. Remember the Wild West of the government's list for COVID-19 travel test sellers? Well, since we exposed this, the government and the CMA have taken action. More than 50 test providers were removed from the list. We also received a response from the Department of Health and Social Care to our Freedom of Information request asking about how the list was compiled. The department claimed to have improved the list after an internal review of the price check process. We checked it against the current website and not much has changed. 
Where before we saw fake prices listed at around 20 to 30 pounds, there are now misleading prices as low as 1 pound 25 listed, despite the department telling us that it had set a minimum price of 20 pounds to, in its words, prevent private providers quoting unrealistically low prices to attract customers. The race to the top of the government list continues. Make sure to subscribe to Fair and Square on all podcast platforms to keep getting updates on our investigations and get in touch with any tips and leads.